but if anything I I, th- I think it helped like when I went through the interview process it made me stand out because I was the only one that had like my story I was the only one that was foreign as such Welcome to The Thought Card, a podcast about travel and money, where planning, saving, and creativity leads to affording travel, building wealth, and paying off debt. We are the Financially Savvy Travelers. Kylie is a British expat living in the USA. She enjoys drone photography and writes about expat life, the U.S. green car process, and finding unique active adventures in England, Iowa, and everywhere in between. She's a lover of all things adrenaline, including paragliding in New Zealand, glacier hiking in Austria, and camel trekking in Morocco. Kylie shows us that it's possible to travel if you make it a priority and maximize your time at different destinations around the world. Sure. I am Kylie. I originally come from just outside London in a county called Essex, England. Um, I now live in America and I have been here for two years. It was two years about two weeks ago. Happy anniversary. Is that an anniversary? <laughs> yeah, one of them. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. So you have such an interesting story in how you met your husband. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, um, we met. It was about Five years ago now, um, I was traveling solo in Jamaica. Um, He was there on vacation with his sister and we met in the hotel swimming pool. It was raining and we were the only people crazy enough to be swimming in the rain. And yeah, it just started from there and we were long distance for a couple of years and then we got married and closed the gap. I thought it was really interesting that you had a travel-themed wedding. So what does that mean? What are the essentials of having a travel-themed wedding? Um, Well, because we are like an international couple, I'm English, he's American, we played very much on the fact that we're both kind of different culture-wise. So we include the English side of us and the American side and the fact that we met in Jamaica as well. So it was like a huge part of us we had to keep flying backwards and forwards between America and England and we met in um, Mexico at, at one point during the visa process so yeah it was travel was such a big thing like in our relationship it was a big like hurdle that we had to contend with so we wanted to kind of share that with our family when we got married. How long did the visa process take from start to finish? Um, I'm actually still going through it, even though I'm here now. Um, but the, from when I first applied to when I got my okay to move to America, it was, it was 10 months. Um, at the two year point, I've had to reapply again to get my visa extended for what would be another 10 years. So it's kind of an ongoing process. (laughs) What's the difference between a visa and green card? Like I am so confused. So can you break it down for us? The green card is kind of like a type of visa. I went through the CR1 visa process, which was the spouse visa. Um, But the kind of the difference would be like a visa almost has like an end date. So, you know, it's either valid for three months, six months, a year, two years, whereas a green card is open ended. It's kind of like you get indefinite leave to remain is what we call it in England, where I there's no end date. I can stay here like as a permanent resident so that's kind of the difference is yeah I'm allowed to stay here however long I want. (laughs) 
That's very, very cool. So is it true that you're advised not to visit the states during the process? So let's say if you wanted to reconnect when you were, you know, before you moved to the U.S., is that true that you're not allowed to visit? Kind of a bit of a gray area. It's um, because it's almost like when you're at the border, you would get flagged up as going through the process. So it's been said that sometimes they think you're you're trying to move to the US before you can legally come. So um, if you do try and come, you're meant to come with things like your mortgage, like your UK mortgages and your bank account statements to show that you do still have ties to the UK and that you will be going home. I didn't chance it because I didn't want to risk like the whole visa process being in jeopardy for the sake of one visit or so. So we actually just lived up to the 10 months and just thought, no, we'll, we won't risk it. <laughs> right. So why did you guys decide that you would immigrate to the US instead of having your husband move to the UK? It was a finance reason. Um, for the UK, you have to earn a certain amount of money to be a sponsor. And I was £500, which is about $700 under the annual allowance for it. So I literally just missed out on being able to be a sponsor. So I kind of had no choice if we were going to make it work. My only choice was to come to America and make that work because he couldn't come to England. (laughs) That's so interesting. I didn't know that there was a financial requirement and uh, like a threshold that you have to meet. And you were so close. There's there's one for America as well, but it's like a lot less. It's to do with um like the threshold for I don't know how to how to say it. It's a bit like how they like the minimum they think that you need to be able to live. So it's like that like things like healthcare and housing and food. There's like a limit to where they think that you need to earn a certain amount to be able to support two people, and uh, it's less in America. So. It was, yeah, easier to come here. Now, in the beginning of your book, you talk about how you managed to get a job just one night in the United States, which is so, like, impressive. So tell us, how did you how did you manage that? Because I was kind of aware of, like, the visa process. Um, I knew when my interview was going to be. And I started looking for jobs before I moved to America because obviously I knew where I was going to be. Um, so I found a job and I started the process while I was back home. So I applied for it as you would a normal job. Um, they, like, the bosses were actually really like flexible in helping like me apply for it as such because we ended up doing the Skype phone call rather than through like a cell phone. So they were like really accommodating for me. So I actually had the phone interview when I was in England. So we had to work with time differences and everything. And then I flew here. And then, yeah, the day I landed, I got the call saying, come in tomorrow for the face-to-face interview. And then I got it a couple of days later. So it was all very quick. <laughs> Do you recommend if you're immigrating to a new place and you're looking for a job, how many months out would you recommend to start looking so that you secure your job when you get there? I started looking, it was around June was when I first started looking for the job. So that was about three months before. Um, I also knew that I wanted to work in a school. So I knew there would be jobs coming up ready for the new school year, which starts at the end of August. I moved at the beginning of August. So it was all, so I was ready in line for the new school year. But obviously it depends on 
what industry you're planning on going in. But if you want education, it yeah, new jobs tend to come up in the summer when the school finishes. So, what do you say to people who think that their foreignness holds them back from succeeding in the states? That's something I was worried about because, especially working in a school, I because obviously there's words that are different. Um, so I was worried that maybe sometimes I would say things that the kids wouldn't understand or I would spell things differently. But if anything, I, I, th- I think it helped. Like when I went through the interview process, it made me stand out because I was the only one that had like my story. I was the only one that was foreign as such, almost like a novel thing. It's like they were like, oh, yeah, we want to talk to you. So I, th- I think it helped. I, I, had, I do think it helped with me getting a job here. Uh, no, I had a cover letter as well, um, just stating like who I was, my situation. Um, again, the normal things that you would talk about, like in a cover letter, like the types of experiences that you've had. Um, I, I brought up the fact that I travel a lot. So I'm used to talking to people from different cultures and different languages. And yeah, you just kind of sell yourself in the best way as you can, just like you would a normal job in your home country. So moral of the story, your foreignness does not hold you back. It makes you unique, right? Exactly, exactly. So how are you managing to travel now with a job? Do you work full-time or part-time? And how are you managing everything together? It's considered part-time. It was a big thing when I first moved here. I knew I wanted to work in a school because of how the time off situation works. So I... I'm traveling kind of more so in the summers because I get the summers off now. So I travel a lot then. I take a lot of longer trips then. So say like last year I went home for five weeks in the summer. I plan on doing the same next year. I plan on going back to Europe for five, six weeks. Uh, The only difference being is that I did have to take a pay cut. So I have to be careful with my travel budget now because it's a lot less than what I used to travel on when I was back home. So yeah, it, it, it's it's good. I mean, that's only because I'm in preschool. Like if you're in the rest of the school, like ages, then they do do Fridays. But my my role is Monday to Thursday. Excellent. Now, I know that you travel solo. Do you still travel solo now that you're in the States? I do. Yes. Uh, yeah, I went to Turks and Caicos in the summer. I was there for a week uh, solo. Um I like solo travel and I thankfully I have a husband that supports that he's not as huge a traveler as me so he's happy to let me go off by myself and yeah I don't know I like solo travel (laughs) it's nice when you're traveling solo how do you pick a destination that you think is going to be a good fit for you it varies with Turks and Caicos that I cashed in my air miles so I knew how many air miles I had it came up and there was a several other different destinations were like within my date and price range and then I I used blogs <laughs> it's like whether people said that they were safe to travel in I checked to make sure there was like no neighborhoods that were unsafe I I'm always very aware uh, I stayed in an Airbnb this time and I made sure that the host was one of the top rated hosts so I knew I was going to be fairly safe traveling alone you just had to kind of take little extra precautions when you are alone right and I also feel like uh, following your gut feeling is also important because 
I had a trip to New Zealand planned and New Zealand is like huge on my bucket list. And it was like, wow, this is a dream. And when it came down to it, like I honestly didn't feel comfortable right now, not forever, but I just didn't feel like in the right place right now. So I just followed my gut and I uh, kind of canceled the trip, but I still have the money so I can definitely like use it elsewhere. But I think you just have to follow how you feel about it. Yeah, like if you if you feel like uneasy, like a lot of the time I try not to go out so much after dark, especially if I'm by myself. I'll often get up early in the morning and I make the most of daylight hours and I'll go back to my accommodation early evening and then I'll just be on the computer or catching up on my blog and I'll be doing like things that are like in a safe environment rather than because you do have to kind of be aware especially at night in the dark in a in a place that you don't always know so much it's I don't know I like to I like to feel comfortable <laughs> and after a day of sightseeing like you wake up early let's say you wanted to see the sunrise you're tired by the end of the exactly. evening <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're so tired and I always say like sometimes I just want to unwind with some wine or beer I just grab it from the grocery store and then I drink it in my room so yeah, exactly <laughs> there's definitely ways to get around that how has being married changed your views on solo travel if it has or hasn't I don't think it's changed my views at all um if my husband wants to come with me that's fair enough he's more than welcome but um yeah I often get a lot of questions from like people going oh is your husband going with you and it's like "Uh, no but then it's kind of understandable with me being in a school I get a lot more time off than what he does in his job so I don't think it's changed so much I think I'm I, I mean he met me when I was traveling solo so what can you expect? <laughs> it's going to carry on. <laughs> That's a great point. That's a great point. So in your book, you also talk about health insurance coverage and sorting all of that out. So as an expat, what sort of health insurance coverage do you need? Um, I am on, I'm treated the same as a citizen. So I have to have exactly the same type of health care as everybody else uh the difference being was obviously when I first got here I didn't have a social security number or anything I had to wait for it to come it took about six weeks of me being here before I received it and then I could join onto a health insurance policy just like everybody else um I was on I tried solo plans because my job doesn't give me coverage I'm on my third company already and I've only been here two years. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit of a shock <laughs> to the system to be going through this process. And around on average, like how much are you spending? It's about $350 a month is what the premium is. I've now joined onto a family plan with my husband, but the increase was still about $350. So it's kind of been that since I've been here. And that also you have to put in your budget. So I think that's really interesting. So as an expat, you have to uh, incorporate health insurance coverage into your budget. Yes, you do. Um, Especially as in the summer, I don't get paid for three months. So when I'm planning my, my travel budget and 
the cost of living. It's like I have to make sure I've got a, like a big chunk saved for the summer so I can cover all my travels and all my health insurance and then even travel insurance as well. So it's like you've got all these different insurance policies going on at once. How does insurance differ between the US and the UK? Majorly. <laughs> um, at home, we have the NHS, which is a national healthcare um, system. And it's essentially free healthcare. Um, you, you pay for it in your taxes, but then taxes depend on how much you earn. So say if you earn under £10,000, which is about $12,000, you don't pay tax. Therefore, you're not contributing to the NHS. So therefore, your health care is technically free. So it, it then also varies on if you earn a lot. So it's it works on like a percentage base. I'm not sure the percentage off by heart, but it works on how much you earn depends on how much you would then pay in tax towards the national healthcare system. Um, when you go in for treatment, you don't get a bill. It's then completely free from then. The only difference is maybe if you have to have like a prescription, they cost about £8, which is about $10 for a prescription. But that is literally all you have to pay. Whereas here, it's a little bit of a shock when you go in somewhere and you come out with a bill on top of your monthly premium that you already pay. It's like, whoa. And your prescription bill as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Super, super interesting. So let's pivot a little bit and talk about uh, travel hacking and any credit cards that you have. Do you have any tips to share with the listeners? Uh, I've just signed up to the American Airlines, the AA Advantage MasterCard. Um, that's been good. That's what I paid for my last trip with was on the air miles I got from that card. Uh, there was a startup bonus of 50,000 air miles. It's uh, $95 a year as a fee. So I've been using that. And I find if you use American Airlines, there's quite a lot of other ways to do it. Like they're partnered with booking.com. So every time you book a hotel, you're also earning air miles on that stay. They have survey sites where you can earn extra miles and all things like that. So I, I find the American Airlines program quite good, especially as my local airport only has American Airlines. So it works for me being where I am with like a big American Airline hub as such. I agree. The sign up bonuses and credit cards is really what makes it lucrative to sign up. Yeah, exactly. Because if I'm already going to be paying for travel, I might as well just be getting some air miles from it and then it but I can put it towards another trip it it all kind of adds up and helps with the budget <laughs> I agree and I also wanted to share that it's also important like well whatever airlines that you're flying with to grab their frequent flyer mile number yes the, uh yeah I've got the Virgin Atlantic one the American Airlines one I've just signed up for the Norwegian one as well when I took my last flight with them their one works quite good so even though I only had like something like 52 cash points, but it's air miles that are always like working straight away. So it, rather than having to like accumulate a huge amount, it's like, oh, I could get like $10 knocked off already. So that, yeah, there's often like hidden, hidden benefits to it as well. No, I love that. Any, any dollar off 
counts. Exactly. <laughs> it's a cup of coffee or something at the airport that I've now got free. So, so what are some of your favorite airlines to travel with across the pond? I uh, love Norwegian now. They're, I find they're the cheapest ones. They've just started a new route from Chicago O'Hare to London Gatwick. So for me, that one's brilliant, especially as I only travel hand luggage a lot of the time because they're one of the they're one of the budget airlines where you have to pay for the meals and the suitcases but if you're only going to travel with hand luggage you're saving yourself a bit of money on like unnecessary payments that you don't really need to be paying for so i find norwegians good um sometimes you can kind of hack it like um i flew last year i went united from chicago into dublin and then I jumped on a Ryanair flight from Dublin to London. And that worked out about $400 cheaper than flying direct with an airline. Um, I find that even though I have a credit card, it kind of pays not to be loyal to an airline. You don't, kind of just have to go with whoever's cheapest. But Norwegian is good right now. <laughs> I agree with the loyalty that you really just kind of go with every everyone and then you just eventually just keep accumulating with them the more you fly. Um, I also just go with whoever's cheapest. And because I'm based out of the New York airports, I have Delta, American, United, I have so many options, but don't be loyal, guys. Yeah, no. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't pay to be loyal. <laughs> right. But definitely have frequent flyer miles and your frequent flyer numbers. Yes. How many airports are there in London and which one is your favorite? There are, I, you're putting me under pressure now. There's London Stansted, Luton, London City, Heathrow, Gatwick, Southend. That's six, I believe. There's six airports. Um, I live closest to London Stansted and they're only recently just starting to fly long haul from there. They're brilliant for European trips, but... Not so much for long haul. They're only just starting doing that now. So I tend to fly into Gatwick the most. I find it's nicer to drive to. Um, but Heathrow has better connections into London. They have like they're on the London Underground network. So if you're gonna get the tube there, they're good for that. But I personally I like Gatwick. And what airlines when you're in Europe do you frequently use? Uh, Ryanair. <laughs> Although they've had, uh, they've been in the media recently for not good things. I still have a bit of a soft spot for them, just because their prices are so cheap, and one of their hubs is London Stansted. So for me, it they're just one of the easiest ones. It's like they have a huge list of destinations, and for me, they've always been kind of the go-to if I want to go somewhere in Europe. And I'm going to take us back to the United States for a second. You're actually one of the most adventurous people that I know. And I wanted to know, what's your favorite stateside adventure since moving here? I am in love with Silver Lake Sand Dunes in Michigan. Um, I've been there twice now. I took my parents there in the summer as well. Um, it's basically like a Sahara desert in the Midwest. It's 
I love it. They do sandboarding. You can hire quad bikes and dune buggies and you can go off-roading in the sand dunes. I love it there. It's kind of almost like I'd never heard of it before I moved here. I saw it on a road sign when I was on one of the interstates. And I was like, I've got to pull over and see what this is about. And I love it there now. Out of all of your adventures, which is your favorite of all time? I it's, it's tough. It's like, there's been so many. Uh, one of them, I would say, would be when I drove Route 66. I drove the whole lot from Chicago to L.A., which is 2,446 miles. Um, we also done detours to the Grand Canyon and Las Vegas, which are very close to the route. Uh, I done that with my parents and my sister back in 2011 and it was just brilliant it's like you see so much and there's kind of like a history to the road and it that was a big adventure um worldwide I really like camping in the Sahara Desert in Morocco we went on a camel trek and then stayed there overnight and there was a sandstorm and everything but sometimes the when bad things happen it creates the memories so tell us what's next for you in terms of your next adventure. Um, so far, the only thing I have booked is that I'm going home for Christmas. Uh, I spent the last two Christmases here in America. So this will be my first one back home in England. So I'm doing that for two weeks. But other than that, I'm just kind of freestyling it for now. I, I need to wait for my funds to go, go back up <laughs> after I've not worked for three months. So, um, yeah. I'm then planning next summer again like I said I'll be gone for maybe five six weeks I plan on going to some new countries in Europe that I haven't been to before uh, maybe like Estonia Finland excellent well this was so much fun Kylie how can we connect with you Right. My book is Be Called Between England and Iowa, A Year in the Life of an Emigrating Wife and it's all about my first year living in America. So I talk about the differences and like my culture shock and my travels and a, it's kind of written journal style. It's like I kept a diary and it's basically the words that spilled out of my mouth onto the page. Um, it's available worldwide on Amazon in paperback and Kindle. Excellent. And everyone, you can find the links in the show notes. You can swipe up in your app or you can head to podcast at thoughtcard.com and we'll have Kylie's book there. On all the normal paces, my website is www.betweenenglandandiowa.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram under England and Iowa. And on Facebook, I'm Between England and Iowa. Here are three takeaways from that chat with Kylie. Number one, your foreignness doesn't hold you back. In fact, it makes you unique. Embrace it and show the world what you got. Number two, when planning your solo trip, here are three tips that Kylie shared. Number one, check out different blogs, read about things to do in destinations, maybe read about safety concerns and what other travelers experience there. Number two, take the necessary precautions. You're in a new city, a new place, so just make sure that safety is number one. And three, if you're staying at an Airbnb or with the host, that you check out their reviews and make sure that you're staying with the top rated hosts because, again, safety is a priority. Lastly, I love that Kylie talked about airline and brand loyalty as a traveler. And I totally agree that 
considering signing up with a branded airline credit card is a really good idea. The credit card sign-up bonuses, they're very lucrative. Many times you have enough to take a round-trip flight internationally, and that can definitely help you cut costs, your travel cost. But sometimes know that loyalty doesn't always pay. Some travelers like me, I go with whoever's cheapest. And to maximize that, I always sign up for their frequent flyer miles. So even if I don't travel with them frequently, I'm still keeping a running tab of the points and miles that I that I earn. And I think that's super, super important. So don't feel like you have to you have to stick with the airline if it's not really within your budget. Go at what works for you and make sure to grab their frequent flyer miles. This is the easy, easy way for you to be able to travel cheaply or free without even signing up for a credit card if you don't want to. So that is the beauty of signing up for frequent flyer miles. And again, it is free 99. Don't forget that if you are enjoying this podcast, tell a friend, tell someone that you know who loves to travel and also loves to talk about money or maybe needs to talk about money about this podcast. As always, I love to hear from you. The best discussions happen over at podcast.thoughtcard.com and I cannot wait to see you soon. Bye. Bye.